Right. Good morning, everybody. Well, yeah, y'all sound kind of lively this morning. That's good. Praise the Lord. Open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. It's a privilege to be back with you. I have the opportunity this morning to open God's Word, begin a new study on the life of Joseph. And, um, you know, before you start out on a journey, it'd be helpful to know where you want to go before you start, don't you think? So, unless you're just wandering, Brother Stewart, I mean, I guess then it don't really matter, right? You just wander around and uh, see how it goes, but uh, we want to know where we're going. So, my, the Lord has led my thoughts in, in regards to these studies here with Joseph in two ways. Uh, one, into the person of Joseph uh, and learning, uh, certainly from his character, uh, it, how to apply these things in our lives. And, and I pray the Lord will help us with that. And then, uh, of course, the, the second thing is the person of Christ. And uh, there's not a, a more complete picture of Christ in our Old Testament than what we see in the life of Joseph. And in his person, we see many pictures, uh, many types of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... As we go through, we, I pray that uh, not only God will help us uh, in our personal lives, but also uh, that Christ will be exalted in our minds and in our hearts as we go through this, this study. So if you uh, divide your Bible up and you look at uh, the book of Genesis, so we have uh, the first 11 chapters that covers the foundational events uh, that happen in in creation, everything from creation and the fall, and, and we've got the flood, and we've got uh, Babel. And then, you know, that covers, I think, a couple of thousand years, Brother Tucker. And then we get to Abraham in chapter 12, right? And so then we've got Abraham, really, in his life, going up to about chapter 25. And so we've got more time really in the in the book of Genesis to Abraham's life than we had to those first couple thousand years of history. And, and, and Abraham lived to be 175 years old. And then we get to Jacob. Jacob's born in, in chapter 25. And Jacob's buried in chapter 50. And that's something that half of the book of Genesis is covered the life of Jacob. Unbelievable. Now, not all those chapters are about Jacob, okay, but he's alive during that period of time that those, the second half of the book is written. But the one that has the most written about him between all the patriarchs is Joseph. So Joseph's born here. We see uh, his account. Well, actually, he's born earlier, but we see him begin now to be written about his life in chapter 37. And then it continues on until the end, with the exception of 38, as a little parenthetical. But So Joseph, uh, the Bible has much to say about Joseph, and uh, thank God that it does. So let's just uh, hit a little background today, and I want to talk to you about, uh, about how we got to chapter 37. Now, y'all may remember, turn to Genesis, we're going to come right back to 37, but let's, uh, let's look at chapter 30. I want to show you a couple of verses here. You may remember that Jacob, he had to take a little trip. Y'all remember? Esau was out to kill him. So he had to go down and he went to visit Uncle Laban. 
And y'all know how that went, right? Uncle Laban uh, really wore him out, okay? And uh, we'll see how he wore him out for 20 years, according to chapter 31, verse 38. But uh, we see in, in verse uh, chapter 30, here around uh, verse thir- 22, I want you to pick up with, because Joseph, he is the son of Jacob's favorite wife. What was her name, by the way? Rachel, that's right, okay? So the one that he wanted to marry from the beginning, and then Laban pulled the trick on him, and he had to do another seven years after he got Leah to get Rachel, and then another six years after that for, for the sheep, and I mean for the goats and the sheep and all the things, all the livestock. So 20 years total. But Leah was his first wife, and because of that, Leah began to have children, and then guess what? Rachel was barren. And so there was a period of time and she comes to Jacob at the beginning of chapter 30 and, uh, and she basically says, uh, she envies her sister and she says unto Jacob at the end of verse 1, chapter 30, it says, give me children or else I die. Well, what a terrible position she's in here, a situation. And Jacob, he's angry because he's kindled against Rachel. And he says, Am I in the God's stead? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of thy womb? He's like, It's not my my fault. I can't change this. Amen? But God does ultimately change it. Amen? Now, in the meantime, before he does change it, Leah's already had six sons. Half of of the sons of Jacob. And then we've got the two handmaids, uh, Bilhah and Zilpah, have two each. So we've got ten sons already born until we get over here in chapter 30 to verse 22. And it says, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened unto her, and opened her womb, and she conceived, and bare a son. And said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And so the name Joseph means adding. Amen. What a blessing that God opened her womb. And so we go now to chapter 37. I want to show you some things here. Let's read the first four verses. Chapter 37. And Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Now you expect to have a little bit more than what we're given here, because if you go back and look at chapter 36, it says, now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom, and then look at all the different names you see listed there in the next few verses. But here, chapter in verse 2, it says these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph. That's it. Joseph. Being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all the ch- of his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that his father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you, God, for your precious 
word, Lord, the, the holy Bible that you've given us, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that we can trust it, Lord, that it's perfect and it's complete, Lord. And uh, Lord, we pray you'd use it today. Speak to our hearts and help us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So now after Joseph's born, of course, there's another son added, right? And what's his name? Benjamin, right? So Rachel has another child, and that's in, in chapter 35. Unfortunately, at the birth of Benjamin, Rachel dies during childbirth. And, uh, and so Jacob's life is kind of like a roller coaster, isn't it? You know something else that's interesting about Jacob to me? It's not about Jacob, these lessons about Joseph, but it's important to understand God's perspective here for us. Because you know the, the Bible uses the God of Jacob more than it uses the God of Abraham, more than it uses the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and especially in the book of Psalms. So why do y'all think that is? Do y'all think that maybe Jacob's a little bit like us? You think maybe we could, we sure need some of the help that Jacob needed in his life? Amen? That sometimes we get off track, because I mean, you look at Jacob, I mean, he goes and runs out, he has to leave his house, he has to go over there to Laban's, he gets in trouble there, then on the way down there, remember, God appears to him. And then he goes through all that, and then in chapter 2, God appears to him again. The angels of God, it says that basically they're waiting on him. They're meeting with him. And then we see he gets off track and some terrible things happen in chapter 34. Uh, you can read about that and, and I encourage you to do so. And in chapter 35, again, Reuben goes into his concubines and just family trouble galore. But, but he gets right with God again there in chapter 35. You know what I see there, Brother Roger? I see that God's family is a mess. You're talking about dysfunctional. Boy, we are dysfunctional. And thank God we got a merciful Father. Amen. And I, when I see the God of Jacob written in there, I say, yeah, that's the God of Lewis right there. Amen. It's just like I can just put my name right there in there because everything that Jacob's done, I've done. And God's been so good to me. And he's, he's just in his mercy. He still speaks to us, shows up, and gives us what we need. Amen. And so... I thank God for Jacob. And, I, and I'll tell you, when we get down here, we're going to see that really Joseph's life is divided into three parts. So we have his, his first 17 years. It says he was 17 years old when he was feeding the flock. So he's in his father's house until he's 17 years old. And I see there the foundation of his faith is laid. Then we got 13 years, Brother Terry, where... There is the forging of his faith. And then we got the time on the throne in Egypt. Y'all know how long that is? Eighty years experienced the fruit of his faith. So we have the foundation of his faith. We have the forging of his faith. And then we get the fruit of his faith. Amen. And thank God that the last section was a lot longer than the first two. Right? Amen. Especially that second one. But... We're going to spend most of our time talking about those, those, those last two phases there, the, the forging of his faith and the fruit of his faith. But before we get there, let's talk today about the foundation of his faith. What were the things that happened in those first 17 years of his life that allowed Joseph 
to be able to really uh, thrive in such an adverse experience and such so, so many adversities he had to overcome. I will say this, you know that they character is not developed in a crisis. Y'all agree with that? It's only displayed there. Amen. Character has to already be there before you hit the crisis. Amen. Now you may not be able to know it because you haven't had the need for it. It's kind of like courage. You know, courage cannot exist without fear. Because courage is actually the overcoming of fear. So if you can't, if you don't have fear, you can't have courage. Okay? And you may not know that you got courage until the fear hits. And then can you go on and can you move forward? And it's the same thing with character. When your character, if you're, de- if you're developing it before the crisis hits, and then when the crisis hits, the character is actually displayed. Amen? And so that's what happened here in the life of Joseph. So there's something in those first 17 years, certainly there's probably more than this, but I see a few things here that were critical in his development. So let's look at the first thing. Let's look at verse 3. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. So we have this issue here in this family of favoritism. By the way, it didn't start with Jacob, did it? No, it went back, you know, we got previous generations. We have that same thing going on, right? With Isaac, he had his favorite. And certainly Rebecca had her favorite here, we see, Joseph. And, um, but we see Jacob has a favorite. He has favoritism. So I want to ask you a question. Is favoritism right or wrong? Wrong. Okay, good answer. I agree. Now let's define it. I don't want to set you up, you know what I'm saying? But we do need to define the word, okay? And, and certainly we also need to... We need to dig a little deeper and see the reason. And, and then I think there's some things that we can learn here that helped Joseph, and I think it will help us. So, the why of favoritism is important. And is, it, is favoritism really another name for a reward of good behavior? Is there not times, I mean, do you treat all your children the same? I hope not, right? Because there are different levels of maturity, they're, 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 uh, some are obedient and they need to handle different. They're different personalities. You can't treat your children the same, right? You can love them the same, and, but the way you express your love is going to be different depending on their response. Yes or yes? Amen. I help you with the hard ones, okay? While we're thinking about this. But, but so the, the favoritism can be sometimes a reward for good behavior like uh, maturity and obedience and responsibility, right? And we don't want to let this idea that we're showing favoritism stop us from rewarding those type of behaviors, right? Because you get more of the behavior that you reward, right or right? Okay, so if you reward bad behavior, you can just about be assured you're going to get more of it. But if you reward good behavior, you'll also get more of that. And so, I think that um, here's the key. If there appears to be some favoritism, and you get questioned on this as a parent, do you have a good answer? Do you have a good reason for why one child may get a privilege over another? Y'all with me? Now, did Jacob have a good 
answer here? The Bible tells us what his answer was. His, his answer in the rest of verse 3, it says, because he was the son of his old age. Not only that, his favorite wife. Right? And so I don't think that's a very good answer, do y'all? Sister, you have a question? <coughs> I agree. I totally agree with you. That there is absolutely no justification here in the, what the Bible tells us for the, the favor that he showed him. Okay? But I'm going to give you my second point. Okay? Because it does happen, right? Does it happen? It happens. So here's the second point. How does one respond to it? How does someone respond to favoritism being shown? So you have a choice. That's going to be my third point, is this a choice. But here's the thing. Joseph can take advantage of that, or he can live up to it. This is the choice. See? With an added responsibility, he can look at it and say, man, I've got to live up to this. This happens a lot in firstborns, right? Especially in Bible times, firstborn. Wasn't there more expected of them? And there was more given to them. Amen? And so, Joseph here has to make a... What we get tired of, what we get sick of, is seeing people, they get... For some reason, they have favor with people, and especially with their parents, and they get special recognition, and they don't deserve it. Right? And then they take advantage of it, and then they begin to do... What's my fourth point, is then they begin to feel entitled. Amen? So the very first thing that we have to realize is that there, there is a response here. And so Joseph, and by the way, it can destroy a family, which it did here, okay? Uh, it certainly can, uh, if you give, give advantages without merit, without the work and attitude that goes along with it, it can provoke anger and resentment, and certainly that's what happened here. And guess who suffered for that, by the way? Well, all the sons suffered. But I'm going to tell you, Joseph suffered too. And he had nothing to do with it. You understand? He wasn't looking for it. But he, because of the way his father treated him, it caused great resentment with his family, which we'll see in a second. So the third thing we mentioned was that a response is a choice. So if you're the favorite, you have the chance to live up to it. It can make you better, not entitled. But guess what? If you're not the favorite, then what? guess what? It's also a choice. So, if I'm not the favorite, okay? Look, apply this to any area of your life you want, okay? Apply it to work. Apply it to some other organization. Apply it here in the church, whatever. If you're not getting what you think that you ought to be getting, you need to, first of all, look inside and see, why do I feel that way? Is it really justified for me to think that I deserve this, number one? Or is there something in me that's actually holding me back? Is there something that someone else sees that they're being wise by not moving me ahead, giving me more responsibilities, more, more opportunities, or whatever it may be? So first, we need, if we're not the favorite, let, let's search our hearts. See if there's a just reason. And if there is, then let it make us better and not bitter. And the second thing is, if there's not a just reason, if we've examined our heart before God honestly, and we can't see any reason for it, what do we need to do? Pray for grace. You need grace. 
and mercy. And you know what the Bible actually says in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 15? It says, rejoice with them that rejoice. Rejoice with those that rejoice. So can you, even though you know that this, you might have thought you deserved it, you didn't get it, you're recognized, you didn't, for your hard work, good attitude and whatever, didn't get recognized, can you still rejoice with somebody else for their recognition that they get? This is what the Bible has called of us to do, to humble ourselves, to, to seek the grace of God to bring us through this. And no matter which side of this we're on, is always, always protect ourselves from this entitlement attitude. This is destroying our country. People expect something for nothing. It's like we're entitled to it. It's amazing what people expect these days. Don't let it be counted in us. Amen? That, uh, man, God, we don't, ex- we don't deserve anything, brother. It's the grace of God. We don't deserve anything but hell for our sin. And God and His, and His mercy and His grace made the payment for us. That was a gift. It wasn't anything that I earned. Amen? And so the opposite attitude, what's the opposite attitude of entitlement? Gratitude. 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 You know why? Because when you say thank you, you feel somebody gave you something, you then don't feel you deserved it. The opposite of entitlement is gratitude. You want to judge how much entitlement, you know, attitude is really in us and creeping in? Let's compare it to how much gratitude we have. Amen. As our gratitude goes up, I can assure you that your expectation uh, and your presumption is going down. Amen. That's the way we can really judge it. The best way is say, how much gratitude do I have? Do I have the attitude of gratitude? Amen. And let me just say something here that's important, I think, in this this, this discussion about favoritism. Because uh, in that, there's also the perception of favoritism. In other words, there's not really uh, that there, but it appears that way. And by the way, I admit it, it's commonly known in my house that I have a favorite child. Okay? And if you don't believe me, you can just ask her. She's sitting right back there. Okay? And she always tells me that she's the favorite. And that's how I know she is. Amen? She tells me that all the time. And uh, generally it's tied to, you know, wanting something. But, you know, maybe not. I mean, I'm not sure if she's got a self-motive there. I think maybe. But anyway, she's a blessing. And uh, so the point is, is that what about stepchildren and adopted children? This is something Brother Roger and I have talked about this a while back. And I don't even remember exactly why. I'm pretty sure this was us that had this conversation. But there is something that the devil does in that that relationship there. When that natural parent relationship is broken, there is something that the devil seems to get a stronghold on. And he wears these kids out about this stuff. And so if you have any of this in your family, you gotta be you gotta be really really kind of cautious and pay attention to this and make sure that um they're not they're not um perceiving something that's not there. And that there's really not something there. 
okay? And that you have that good answer for the child that may sense that, okay, in particular. And then last of all, that you try and continue to pray to develop that attitude of gratitude in these, these, pe- in these kids, amen? Attitude of gratitude for what they have and not what, for what they've lost. I think a lot of times, because it's something that happens to them beyond their control, that sometimes they feel like... Um, they, you know, they didn't get the right deal with God, and that's a bad thing because they get bitter against God, and there's no reason to get bitter against God. Amen? Just because their parents sinned, it ain't God's fault. You understand? Uh, and, and so look at, the, look at what's happening in verse 2 here. It's the reason I bring this up, and because it, it's, it's relevant all around me today. Uh, but look at what it says. It says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren... And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Now, what kind of what kind of attitude? I mean, what are these what about these two boys? So, are they going to feel equal to the other boys? No, they're they were given their, their mother was given to them by the the favorite mothers or the more uh, what we might call uh, natural mother. Okay. The one that, uh, the wives, excuse me. So the, the, they were the handmaids. So I think these boys already had a chip on their shoulder. I think they already had some situations going on here. And uh, we'll talk more about that and about that. But, but for, let's move on to the next point. And by the way, just in closing, this is why God hates divorce. Why does God, according to Malachi chapter 2, why does God hate divorce? Because He desires a godly seed. He knows that something happens in that relationship breakup that's going to affect that next generation. And God desires a godly seed. And we see here that God's family is dysfunctional, but for the grace of God. Amen? So let's look at the other thing here. Not only did this favoritism help form the foundation of his faith, but what about the timing of his birth? In verse 3, it tells us that he was the, the son of his old age. So guess what, by that advantage, what did Joseph miss? Well, he missed a lot of the carnal years of Jacob. Amen? He missed a lot of that. So he saw Jacob more in relation to those years in chapter 32 where he's wrestling with God, and then over in chapter 35 where he's building an altar and, altar and worshiping. So he's experiencing this revived uh, Jacob in his life, and he's actually seen... Uh, God working in his father's life. He's seeing him walk with his father. Is he, is he perfect? Absolutely not. I mean, children shouldn't be looking for perfection, but they should be looking for direction. Right? And so, I will say that, you know, there are privileges that go with being a firstborn, but I also know in my, from my own experience, there's a lot of practicing that goes on with the firstborn. <laughs> There's a lot of learning from your mistakes that goes on with the firstborn. And so Joseph being number 10 in line here, maybe Jacob had worked out a few of those problems by now. Amen? I hope I got better as time went on. And uh, it's yet to be seen. But, but Jay, my question is, Joseph got to see Jacob living with God. So my question is, is our faith practical... And it, are, we being, are we living it out so that our children, our grandchildren, and other people around us can see what it looks like to be a Bible-believing Christian? What does it look like in your home? Is everyone in their place? And are they happy about it? 
or they got a, a chip on their shoulder because they, they don't have the place they wanted? Uh, do, or the, or is there order? Do you see children that are happy? You got a smile on them, but they're in order and they're glad about it? Do we see it in our workplace? What's our work ethic like? Do we go to serve our boss and to make him a prophet? Do we, what do we look like in our finances? Are our finances in order? What's important to you? Where do, where do you spend your time and your money? Is there peace, love, and joy, and harmony? Those are kind of things that, that show the, 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 the world around us that something's different. And it's because we put our faith and trust in Christ. And that He now controls our life. We had a, a... By the way, I need to recognize my wife on her birthday today. She sits in the back because she said, then it's okay if I pick on her or say anything about her. She's sitting up here and embarrassed her. Everybody's looking at her. Happy birthday, baby. But we uh, went away for a little trip this weekend and we rented a house. And um, and so uh, the the guy texted me on uh, Friday or Saturday. No, Friday. He texted me on Friday because we were coming back on Saturday yesterday. And he's like, you're like the first people that's ever rented our house that left on Saturday. He's like, we'll give you a discount if you'll stay over through through to Sunday. And we're like, Thank and so I just texted him back and I said, we're born again Christians, and so we want to get home so we can go to church. Amen? Amen? So making decisions like that, you know what I'm saying, hopefully maybe it gets somebody thinking. He texts back that he was a Christian as well and told me some other things, so maybe hopefully he is, but I want to be a witness. The way I order my life needs to be different. And, and then the last thing that we're going to talk about here is about the, the home. Okay, look at verse 4 here. It says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Now, can y'all, this was actually the, the beginning. This is not only the foundation, but this is the beginning of the forging of his faith as well. This is a transitional point here because can you imagine, what was it like to sit down at the breakfast table every day with your ten brothers? that all hated you and never spoke peaceably unto you. Day after day after day. Then when you get up from the breakfast table, what are you going to do? Go out in the field and go to work with them. They don't speak peaceably unto you day after day after day. What do you all think that might produce in a young man? You all think maybe he was a little bit lonely? Can you imagine how lonely that was? His brothers are laughing and joking and talking about stuff and they don't include him in their conversation. When he walks up, they make fun of him or they don't, they shut up, they won't talk to him. This is the life that he grew up in until he was 17 years old. Every day he is facing this situation. But I'll tell you, even, and Brother Kevin mentioned this to me too, loneliness can cause you to depend more deeply upon the Lord. You see, and you know, there are men in, in my life that I've really have helped me, and a lot of these guys spend a lot of time alone. You know, I've, I've looked at that, and when I say alone, it's how do you spend your time when you're alone is what matters. There was a guy, Brother Brent knows, that we used to buy hay from up in Crockett. His name was Sam. You remember Brother Sam? And uh, 
This guy spent hours on his tractor by himself as a general rule. Almost 80 years old when I met him. Okay, 78, I believe. Walked with God, brother. I mean, he told me about how God led him and how God did and how God put him in the hay business and told him when he got there, he said, now, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to be a blessing. And taught in his church and done these other things, but he spent, he was alone. A lot of times, loneliness, and, and we hardly ever have any solitude. How hard is it today to just get some quiet? You know, just to get everything turned off for a minute. You, it's almost impossible. And, uh, and so that can produce something in us. And if we look at Bible examples, what about David with his sheep? And remember, forgotten of his father. Almost like send him out to the field and forget about him. He didn't have evidently a great relationship. He certainly wasn't in his father's thoughts when they said, hey, bring your sons before us. David was alone with those sheep a lot, and I thank God that he was because I think that's where he learned to worship God. And I think that's where he saw some of those things about creation that he wrote about. That's where he saw, learned how to, how to sing some hymns and play some music before God that was pleasing. And why we have some of those beautiful psalms that we have is because he was alone. He was alone with God. So don't let, if you, if you are alone right now, don't let it um, turn into a negative. Let it turn into a positive. Spend some time talking to God, singing with God, worshiping God. And certainly be obedient to what he says and uh, doing, doing our duty. Now, next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at, through these verses, some of the pictures of Christ in Joseph. So I want you to be reading the homework assignment. would be read chapters 37 through 50. Read the life of, of Joseph because we won't have time to, to go through that and, and really discuss all the details of his life and events. We're going to just focus in more, remember, on those two things, his character and the person of Christ that we see in him and the attributes of Christ that we see in him. So if you have a good background of, of a refresher there of his life, it'll be helpful as we discuss these events. And next week, from just the beginning few verses here, we'll maybe look at just four or five pictures uh, of Christ that we see in there. See what you see? I mean, there's guys out there that say there's like a hundred in here. You know, I don't know. Sometimes I think they stretch it a little bit. But certainly, there are a bunch and uh, we won't discuss all of them, but I really want us to get the ones that are relevant to our life. How, what does this show us about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And how does that apply to our life? To make us appreciate Him more, to worship Him more acceptably, and to make our inner man stronger as well. So, till next week, let's uh, close in prayer. Father, we thank You for the opportunity again, Lord, just to be here in Your in your house, Lord, and, and to worship with, with your people, Father, for certainly you are worthy. And uh, thank you for the man of God that you've sent here to lead us, Lord. And we pray that you'd bless him and you'd use him, God, and fill him with your spirit today. And Lord, may we have ears to hear, hearts to obey, Lord. And uh, Lord, if any good thing happens, we'll be quick to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen.